0: Welcome back to the EG Way podcast. We are coming to you live and direct from. Where are we? Yeah, we're. <laughs> oh, SETI <on>. Nurse! Uh... <laughs> Welcome back to the EG Way podcast, a uh, special podcast this week as we are talking about where it all began. No, not EG, but agility, agile methodologies. And joining us to talk about this topic. And uh, how we all got involved in Agile, we have in no particular order, to my left, Mr. Chris Pont, CEO. Good morning. And uh, a newbie for the podcast, but not a newbie to EG and Awesome Dev, is Ben Rogers, Senior Quality Engineer. Hello. And joining us again, the voice of reason, Alan Jackson, Chief Operations Officer. Hello. And with Alan, uh, another familiar voice uh, for you on the podcast. It's Robin Burkby, our business analyst. Hello. And finally, completing the lineup is Martin Dumbill, business development manager. Hello. And uh, I'm Andrew Walker. I'm a freelance writer. Uh, I, I'm an old friend of EG's. In fact, I'm so old, I remember the days before agility uh, when agile was actually the way you referred to a singular person whose name was Giles. Nothing. No. <laughs> uh, okay, you can edit a laugh in.
1: If, <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna
0: say, if, if your name is Giles and you've been offended by that joke, do get in touch with us at E.G. limited on Twitter or send us an email to my name is Giles and I'm offended at EG.com. Okay, so we are having this special uh, two parter about agility because uh, it's been so hugely transformative to the way that software is developed. And um, of course, if we go right back to the roots and start the story, the Agile Manifesto was originally published in 2001. But of course, the process that began it began in the spring of 2000. So we're coming up on the sort of 20th anniversary of agility Chris how did you first get involved in agile what's your first memory of agile methodologies
1: Um, so I've done many different roles within a software development team um, from junior developer mid-level developer senior developer technical architect solution architect and I remember a time when I arrived at a a new client site and I just got handed a stack of you know three three three-inch thick stack of functional specs and was told to to read this and you've got a team of 12 somewhere um you need to keep them sort of fed and watered and, and keep them working on on software you know work your way through those requirements and let us know when you're done uh, and that, that you know really didn't make a great deal of sense so um when we eventually did an agile transformation on that project it it had a, a massive impact um, and it meant that we were delivering a, a lot more regularly um and 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 the business could get to see exactly what was happening they got to see this the software taking shape in front of their eyes so you know it, it had a massive effect on,
2: on what we were doing
0: ben what were you doing the day that agile landed
2: oh um i think the thing was for me uh, agile existed for some time before i was involved in it. a lot of what i was doing for sort of probably the first 10, even 12 years after the Agile Manifesto was published, I was still working in an old waterfall or or V-model method. Um, So for me, Agile, I was kind of a late starter um, to a certain extent. And I would say that a lot of the early projects I was working on were what I'd come to refer to as fragile or wagile in that they were some sort of strange attempt to mix the two methodologies so that you had some elements of agile and some elements of waterfall trying to coexist and I think we may talk about it later but I think it's really the case that until it's fully embraced you don't understand and don't see the real benefits of an agile approach but as I say I think it's only been in the last 10 or so years, that I've been involved in 100% Agile projects and, and seen the benefit that that can bring.
0: Alan, what were you doing the day that Agile dropped on you?
3: Oh, on well, me? I thought you meant dropped generally. I was at university, so I probably wouldn't remember anyway. Well, you're just but, showing um, off now. Anyway, <laughs> and and good-looking you are. Uh, yeah. Um, so my first experience of Agile was 2007. I got a job working for Standard & Poor's, and um, they were undergoing a... a did an agile transformation uh, at the time they had a new um, a new IT manager for the for the EMEA region and he was a massive fan a chap called Jorah Gill and he was a huge fan so he was turning EMEA into an agile haven um, because most of the organisation was still um, sort of more traditional as it were um, so I, I came in, got dropped straight into it, and the, the big thing that I immediately noticed as a developer working in that environment, as I was in front of the customer, an awful lot more. All of a sudden, I was sat there with someone at my computer mocking me, because the computer said no, and various things like this. Um, but I was having to adjust very quickly to working with people who weren't IT-focused. and to, And, you know, you quickly understand the company and the business you're working for um, you know you, you have to you understand it a lot more quickly than you would in any of the previous jobs that I'd would um, I'd, I'd done so I knew the systems in previous roles but I didn't really know what they were used for and therefore I couldn't help make uh, make sort of any good decisions or inform the business at all on how to make those systems better so S&P I found myself right in front of the people who were using them and um and I felt felt a much more a part of um help you know helping them succeed through the software rather than um just building what I was told. So yeah, I remember it.
0: So Robin, I mean you're coming at it from a business analyst point of view and you often there is this association that agility refers to development. But obviously development's just an expression of another part of the business process right so what was your sort of route into Agile?
4: Uh, Well actually I was a developer for about 10 years Um, I never I've never worked on a fully waterfall project it's all been uh, variations of waterfall and Agile until I got to EG where it it was fully Agile Um, so for me it's I've never had one of those document specs where you have to write it all up front. And, and to be honest, I couldn't imagine doing that because to to have an entire mapping of how a system's going to work for months in advance and how everything's going to fit together, I just don't see how that's possible.
0: Yeah. Well, it, I mean, it turns out that, I mean, generally speaking, that I suppose Agile's been really successful because it's not possible uh, with Waterfall. Something, Alan, you had a f- good phrase, didn't you, uh, which was, Friends don't let friends do Waterfall.
3: <laughs> I don't know if that was me, but um, I, I mean, it is possible to do Waterfall. It is. You know, people did it for years. It is possible. It's just not, you know, sort of statistically speaking, the most likely way to get a good outcome. You know, the it it, it sort of ignores the inevitable change and it ignores the complexity of, of building software and um and also that, you know, most people who are specking software don't always know what they want it to do. I think waterfalls very, very possible in cases where you're building something for a very clear regulatory purpose, something that's got legal requirements around it, where it's blooming obvious that, that it needs to be um, done a certain way. I still wouldn't recommend it, but it is possible um, to do it that way. But most people, you know, for a bit of line of business software or something like this, they, they really don't know how they want it to work. And they certainly don't know what their line of business will be doing in six months they don't know exactly how they'll be working they don't know what pressures they'll come under from their their board or from their their you know paymasters. so agile sort of takes away the risk of you getting it wrong a year ahead of the project and um, allows you the the flexibility to to adapt to the changing environment throughout so while agile still might not deliver exactly what you want 100% of the time it just gives you a much better shot of getting it right or getting closer to where you want to be. And I think
1: the, uh, the the interesting thing for me is that as as, as people see that software being built, they, they tend to have other ideas. They see things taking shape and they 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 get a different view on how they're gonna use that software and how it's gonna impact their business.
0: Martin, you are the business development manager here, so you must be on the sharp end speaking to clients. Do they do they expect now, do they say, hey, Uh, this is an Agile project, right? Or are you using Agile methodologies? Do they ask you about agility? Is uh, Is it a shopping requirement
5: now? Not necessarily now, because I think adoption is so high. I think that going back to the point that Alan and Chris were discussing, I think for a long period of time, the view for Agile software development methodologies was one of trying to avoid failure but you've got to look at it the other way. And I think that's how it's being perceived now is that actually not only, yes, does it mitigate risk of failure, but it adds additional value to the deliverable. So, you know, you can incorporate those emerging requirements, those changing needs into the process and get a better deliverable at the end of it. So I think that's what clients, purchasers, or whatever you want to call them, look to from a, from an approach that flexibility to flex and to change their mind fundamentally because you know nothing in in the modern world you have so many disruptors look at fintech look at banking um you know if you were to start a project now who's to say you know even by the end of this month that things won't have changed so that's that's what you need is that ability to change
0: that's an interesting one though because of course the one of the things we often come up against with um in in my life you know over the years with clients is they want to know exactly what they're spending on Mm -hmm. and there's is there is there a sort of natural tension there between saying well we can deliver these things three months down the line but maybe they won't be necessary and we have to deliver other things within the budget. Do you, do you come up against sort of, you know, chief financial officers and people like that who want a, a laundry list and they, they won't sign off on anything else?
5: Yeah, and I think that's one of its... It still remains to be one of its biggest challenges is that you're not signing up in black and white in writing to what you're going to get at the end of either an iteration, a sprint or a release or a project. Um, because, you know... The modern business climate and environments, people want to know what they what they're getting, um, but the addition, you know, the ability to deliver more should outweigh that. But you know, you, you're still going to get that mindset, um, and usually it's it requires an educational process, shall we say, to to help people get the th- change their thinking.
0: Okay, so on the subject of changing thinking, I'm going to take you right back now. I'm going to do a quick pop quiz, so if anyone has got the briefing notes I uh, carefully prepared I want you to turn them over, except for me and I'm going to just, a quick pop quiz test here, can anyone tell me what is the first of the four values?
1: Individuals and interactions over um, processes and tools
0: Yes, ok, one point to Chris. Well hey, <laughs> excellent Can you see your notes? No I don't think so I don't think, I'm, I, I'm putting my hand over the back of them just in case <laughs> Okay, that's that is good. Um, next one, what is the second of the four values?
2: Working software over complex documentation.
0: Very good, very close. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. It's working software over comprehensive. Okay. Yeah. Uh, documentation, but that was that was pretty good. Okay, Ben. So Ben and Chris, they get to have lunch today. <laughs> There's three people left and only two values left, so one of you is going hungry. I'm just going to float that out there.
3: I've already eaten. <laughs>
0: So, what is the third of the values? I have no clue. Number three. <laughs> Number three, you are correct? Yes. Okay, I'll tell you it is
1: responding to change over following a plan.
0: That's number four, Chris. Oh, so, I'm a,
5: God, a, what a loser. Yeah. You got that wrong. I'm,
0: a, I'm actually going yeah. to one one. take a point off you now. Oh, so Ben is definitely senior quality engineer in the lead. That feels like the right result.
3: So I can draw with Chris by not saying another word. Is exactly.
0: exactly. <laughs> that's generally what happens. Okay, so the third one is customer collaboration over contract negotiation. And, of course, the fourth one was, yes, responding to change over following a plan. Now, what's really interesting is um, underneath there is a line that sort of puts all that in perspective, which is, that is, while there is value in the items on the right, we value the items on the left more. So the items on the left being individuals and interactions, working software, customer collaboration, and responding to change.
3: I think that's really important as well. Sorry to jump in because we get thrown at us a lot. Um, or you're not going to do documentation agile projects don't do documentation um, I think we've said on previous podcasts it's, it's simply not true mm. you just prioritise working software and working code over document over comprehensive documentation I think it says specifically as well so you know lightweight docs like wikis maintained by the developer as you go along with key points and things like that are part of standard practice because we need to know what we're building the rest of the team needs to know what's being built so it makes perfect sense um, and we will, at customer request, pay you know, produce whatever documentation is required for handover and support. And um, it will be done. But, you know, it's just if you were given a choice. You had five minutes left in your day, what would you spend your time doing? Yeah, so that's all it is.
4: And not only that, I'd say the backlog forms part of that documentation as well. It's not like the backlog items get deleted afterwards. They've still got mm-hmm. all the details in. They've got the history of what was checked in, what was and what was built at the time. So you can see a history of every backlog item that goes on.
1: And, the, yeah, I mean, the the one that always gets me is the individuals and interactions over processes and tools because I've worked in quite a few places where everything was done over chat tools or everything was done over emails. Nobody gets up and talks to people anymore. So, um, you know, I always used to make a point of, you know, getting up from a desk, go and visit people Go and stand by by them and and have a chat, ask them how their weekend was, build those relationships, and you know that's often how you end up getting things done
4: and those relationships are important because i've certainly found whenever people have felt they need to keep it in an email or in a chat it's because they feel like they need to be able to prove that that happened and that was the decision at a time and if you're getting to the stage where you're having to prove that this is what was discussed and agreed then the relationship's breaking down so
0: now that's an interesting one because that's one something that i think most people will recognize if you ever worked in a a large institution, or you've worked with a client in a large institution, that one day that the slightly complainy email arrives and it's been cc'd to everyone you've ever met, mm-hmm. is that is that something that that happens a lot? So that's a sign that you're not being agile with your relationship building, right? It,
3: I don't say it happens a lot, but it happens. You know, it absolutely does happen, and there is a need sometimes to document parts of the conversation. You know, in the end, you are in a legally binding contract with an, another. Uh, another party so but again the manifesto just says you know prioritize the interactions prioritize collaboration over the um over sort of throwing the contract around all the time it doesn't say don't do it it just says mm. try the try the other way first You know, and really 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 try the other way first you know you should be falling back on the contract as a um a last resort i mean my experience of this is the times you end up falling back on the contract is when they when the trusters has broken down or didn't exist in the first place, maybe. Um, they're the times, but a vast majority of the time you can just work directly um, with the product owner and um, have a good enough relationship that you can find your way out of most, you know, 99% of the situations without it coming to contracts. Um, but they are there for a reason. Everyone knows why they exist. So.
0: Okay, so Ben, I want to ask you as a, a quality engineer, you must apply. Agile principles across the whole spectrum of the software that's produced? Because I'm looking at... We have the values, but then there are the 12 principles that underpin the values. Mm -hmm. And I have them here. I'm not going to do another quiz. (laughs) Um, But very interestingly, and I I think one that sort of sits... Value number 12 is, at regular interviews, the team reflects on how to become more effective and then tunes and adjusts its behavior accordingly. Mm -hmm. Is that where the... Uh, quality engineering side comes in or does it apply right the way across the process
2: i would say that it it applies across the process i mean we've had numerous discussions here in in ig and, and in other places i've worked previously quality isn't something which happens at the end of a process um often you'd have in the sort of old waterfall days you would have a test phase which was tagged on at the end and and that would be where quality was was assessed and you'd sort of have defect cycles and everything there but agile puts quality throughout the process but you'll notice that in all of those 12 um, those 12 items quality as a word isn't mentioned Um, it talks we talk about working software and you know, what what is working software and it depends on what's necessary, what the customer needs, what the agreement is for the project. So quality isn't expressly said in any of those items, but it's what's needed in order to move the project forwards, what's needed to meet the immediate requirements. And then that iterative process that comes as part of Agile will refine and you'll get sort of – you'll get more actions, more – Pieces of work, more um, more backlog items that will refine things. Because as as we've already said, as as Alan and, and Chris have said, and, and I think Robin as well, that often the customer doesn't necessarily know exactly what they need yet. They haven't got the fully rounded view, and so we will need to refine, and we'll need to do it. But to do that, you have to build quality into the process right from the get go, right from. Sprint zero all the way through the process.
0: Okay, so that's an interesting one. Now, I am jumping around a little bit here with the principles, but something you just said really struck a chord. Principle number two of the Agile Manifesto says that uh, we welcome changing requirements even late in development. Agile processes harness change for the customer's competitive advantage. Now, I like that last bit. When I read we welcome changing requirements even late in development, I thought, no, you don't no one does surely is that how do you feel about changing requirements late in development i mean apart from the quality issues that might throw in <laughs> no,
1: well i, I was going to say it, it, it's um it, it's really up to the product owner to prioritize those um those requirements so you know late late on in the process they can simply put a new requirement onto the backlog and put that right away to the top and um, say that that's a priority the advantage that has over waterfall obviously is that um if, if a competitor comes out with a new feature or something in the mar- marketplace changes that means that you know y- you could make that piece of software um, have a, a killer feature that, that that could really give them that competitive advantage then you just put that new item on the backlog stick it at the top and um, you know that that can go into the next sprint and get delivered alongside everything else so um, you know it, it's got that flexibility whereas with waterfall you've you've got um you know that planning happens up front it could be months and months and months before anything actually gets out the door so um you know there's going to be huge delays before that new killer feature can be delivered
0: now that's a great point to break uh, our agile story as i know we have a whole lot more to explore but we're coming up to the end of our time for this episode of the eg way we will be back i'd like to say thank you very much to chris pont thank you and I'd like to say thank you very much to uh, Ben Rogers thank you very much and to Alan Jackson thank you and to Robin Berkme thank you and of course to Martin Dumble thank you thank you all and join us on the next episode of the EG where we will be talking more about Agile you will find us of course on Twitter in the meantime at EG Limited and you'll find us online at EG.com we're just going to wave bye bye now to the camera bye bye look at that that's so ironic on a podcast yeah